great day to be in church. Turn with me to the book of Acts. We are in our Understanding the Bible series, and I am stoked to come to this amazing book in the Bible. And I'm reminded as I started studying for this of one of the movies our family really liked, which was the National Treasures movie. Anybody seen those, those movies? They're pretty interesting, and one of them was named The Book of Secrets. The Book of Secrets, and it's this idea that there is a secret book in the National Library that only the president knows about that has all these different mysteries and the telling of all this different lore that could bring the prosperity or blessing or hidden treasures or solve different things that have happened in our country's history. Well, I was in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, a couple weeks back, and I was actually thinking, like, that would be so cool if that book really exists, and I was really getting into it, and it made me think, for me, as I began to open this book we're going to study today, it is a book of secrets for the normal Christian life. You see, I grew up in the traditional church, and I'm so thankful to be raised a Christian because I understood that Jesus loves me, that he gave his life for me, that I could be forgiven of my sins and spend eternity with him. And I learned biblical morality, which helped save me a lot of pain. But I'll tell you this, that our church, when we gathered together, we were much more like the frozen chosen, right? We, we were pretty stiff. It was about a lot of uh, religious rituals, and it wasn't that exciting, so I was kind of over it as a young person until I went to college, and I actually met all these people. I kept meeting person after person that was just full of joy. They were excited. They were passionate, but I was a little turned off because when I visited their church, they were weird. They raised their hands in worship. I saw some of you doing that, by the way, today. They, some people would have their eyes closed. In my church, people only closed their eyes when they were sleeping, right? And, and some people were, were, were like crying. They were kneeling. It was very expressive. And I had been warned to stay away from those kind of people. But I was intrigued because they would go out on mission, and they had been on this mission trip to Mexico. It's actually what we model our mission trip to Tijuana that will be taken with over 250 people from this church at the end of the month. They'd go and they'd come back talking about all these people coming to Christ. And, and, and we never did that. We went on mission trips, but we might see, like, we'd do our little felt board Jesus and our little puppet show. And maybe one third grader, you know, might, might decide to be a better person. But we didn't have all these people making decisions to follow Jesus. And, and they even talked about dramatic healings. And I just thought, are you serious? Could that really be happening? Like, you look like very normal people, not like people wearing white suits, you know, on the, on the Christian channel, driving Rolls Royces. So what's going on? What's going on here? And I thought, if that's going on, I've got to be a part of it. So I went on that trip to Mexico. And I talk about often what happened to me there, but one of the things I don't often share is that they told us in the morning, you're going to have your own devotional life. We call it FaceTime. And they said, we want you to be reading through the book of Acts. So for, for a long time, every morning, I would pour over for the first time on my own the book of Acts. Now we get to the fourth day of the trip, and in the mornings we'd have worship and teaching time. Well, Jimmy, my my college pastor at the time and still my mentor today starts preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now you got to understand, I, I was against the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was actually by then become a religion major at my university and I was writing my big paper against the baptism of the Holy Spirit, saying that it didn't exist. 
Now, the problem was I would soon get baptized in the Holy Spirit. So that would change everything. God works in mysterious ways, and he uses unlikely people. But let me just tell you that story from that morning. Some of you have heard it. I'm sitting there. He starts talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, how 85 to 90% of church growth worldwide is charismatic Pentecostal or third wave, which embraces the power of the Holy Spirit and all the gifts of the Spirit. And I actually looked back to see where the door was because I thought, I'm going to run out. Now, I don't know what I would have done. I would have been on the streets of Mexico by myself but as a college student. But he starts talking about how God is using young people, teenagers, that haven't been trained. He's, he's using uneducated people. He's using the unlikely, the poor, the broken. And the power of the Spirit is flowing through them. And the same miracles that were happening in the Bible were happening there. And the church was exploding through China, through Africa, through South America. And as he talked about that, and he said that God is the same today as he was back in the Bible. And, and if you want to see this, what you've got to do is be willing to receive whatever he has for you. He said so many of us in America, we put a stiff arm up and say, God, I don't want that. I don't want to be weird. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be out of my comfort zone. And man, while he's preaching that, I got so convicted. Because I was like, man, I care so much about what people think. I, 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 I want people to look at me and be impressed. In fact, I was sitting on the back row with my arms crossed. And I started getting so convicted. And I started saying, God, if you're doing that in my day, I have to have it. So when he gave a, a response time, he said, if you want more of the power of the Holy Spirit, if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you want his power to touch you, come up front. Guys, I ran from the very back to the very front. I got down on my knees. And for the first time I could remember in my young adult life, I started crying. I haven't stopped crying since. <laughs> um, this fiery little Asian woman comes up, puts her hand on my back and starts praying for me. And as she did, the power of God started surging through me. I mean, I felt it like lightning bolts. I finally cratered to the ground. I thought, what in the world has happened? That night I'd go to the streets the, the first four days I had shared the gospel with countless people, no one got saved. That night, I led my first person to the Lord, my second, my third, my fourth. And even more crazy for me, I laid hands on a sick person and their back straightened up. They were healed. They lifted their hands in the air. They were crying. Guys, it was like I had stepped into the book of Acts. I, it was almost like Peter and John were going to be walking beside me. I didn't know what Jesus was going to do next. You know, I learned that day the kingdom book of secrets. I want to tell you that the book of Acts is no secret, but I tell you that the American church too often has seen it as a history book instead of an instruction manual. You see, what the Bible says about itself in 2 Timothy 3.16 is this, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me paraphrase it this way for you. Let's say it this way. The book of Acts is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. It's not just a history book. For training in righteousness so that the servant of God, so that you may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So let me unpack this book for you in the short moments we have. I've been going through whole groups of books. Today I'm just going through 28 chapters in 30 minutes. you got to understand the background a little. Jesus has been with his disciples. He's been teaching them. He's been showing them his love. He's been demonstrating 
miracles and power. And then he prophesied that he'd suffer and die for the sins of mankind. Then he goes to the cross and dies. The disciples are heartbroken as they see their Savior, their Master dead. But then, to their utter elation, he appears risen. And look at this. Let's catch up in John chapter 20, just a couple chapters back from the book of Acts. It says, on the evening of the first of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, if a dead person showed up in your dining room, you would need them to say that to you as well. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. Now watch this next phrase, very important. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus had risen from the dead. He had spoken in John chapter 7 that springs of living water would flow from those who believed. But he said when he spoke of that, he spoke of the Holy Spirit, which would be given when he rose from the dead. And so now he is giving the disciples his Holy Spirit. They are being born again. The Holy Spirit is coming to live inside of them. So here's the interesting thing. Flip over two chapters in the Bible, get to Acts 1. You know for the next 40 days, Jesus would show up. And he would appear to his disciples. So now he's having dinner with them again. And it says this in Acts 1, chapter 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Now this is crazy because Jesus had been telling them, go, 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 and preach the gospel, go. And all of a sudden he says, wait. Wait, why, why is he saying wait? He says, wait. For the gift. Wait for the gift my father promised you. So what is that gift? Which you have heard me speak about for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the dates and times which the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, many people go, well, that, that's, that's so interesting, um, the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit coming on them. But, but I thought, I, 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 you know, I received the Holy Spirit when I was saved. Can I just tell you, you did. You did receive the Holy Spirit. When you got saved, when you proclaimed Jesus as Lord, he came into your heart and you were born again. Many people in Scripture talk about the Spirit being like water. So when you're born again, this happens. I'm not going to do it. Hudson, uh, can you jump up here real quick? Um, here's the interesting thing. Guys, and Hudson awesome? Hudson, young adult pastor. Um, Hudson, let me ask you this. I'm praying for you. Do you, I just drank all that water. Do you feel the water? Do you feel it? No. I, I, I'm going to try harder. Do you feel the water? No. No, he doesn't. Okay. So the water's in me. The water's in me, but he didn't feel, did I mess up your hair? <laughs> so sorry. 
I'm going to have hair like this in heaven. Just want to tell you. Don't look at me. Don't look for me looking like this. Um, the water's in me, but he didn't feel it. Okay. The Bible says this. Jesus said, wait for the gift my father promised. Because you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's different. Baptism is different. Ephesians 1 talked about, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. This water was deposited into me. But watch, the baptism is different. Watch this. This is so fascinating. Hudson, look at this with me. Look at the word uh, baptism in Greek. It's, it is baptizo, which means to dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge. Now, watch this. I, I'm not going to pour it on him. I, I, would not, I would not do that to him. Watch this. No, I really wouldn't watch. To dip, to submerge, to immerse. Now, Hudson, do you feel, do you feel the water? Do you, do you feel it? I feel that. He feels the water. Let's give him a hand. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jason. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're born of the Holy Spirit for you. You're baptized in the Holy Spirit for them. You're sealed for you, but you're baptized to be witnesses to a hurting, lost, and broken world. And so that's why we so desperately need this. And so let me walk you through now the four parts of the book of Acts. And part one is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look at that. You, you saw the verse that says this. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The amazing thing about the book of Acts is it's broken into four parts, and all of the parts are found in Acts 1.8. It's so cool. I just saw that this week while I was studying. I'm looking at this verse. I'm going, okay, how do I explain the book of Acts? And then I saw, oh, my goodness, all four parts are broken up. Acts 1.8 is the outline for the book. Part one, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We're going we're gonna to study that a little more in a second. Number two, and then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then part three, in Judea and Samaria. And then part four, to the ends of the earth. Absolutely amazing in this verse. So let's look at part one, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says this in chapter two. When the day of the Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So they're praying, they're calling out. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under earth. And they heard the sound. So then we're going to skip down. They hear in their own language. And then in the end, it says this. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. There's several things I see about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. First of all. It's when people gather together and pray. Why is this not happening in every church? Because every church is not praying and saying, God, we need you. We need your power. When a people cry out for God's power, he can't help but answer them. 
That is the history of revival around the earth. And that's why we're a praying church. It was amazing to have from the front to the foyer packed at our prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. Jump in to our monthly prayer meeting as we cry out. Because we can't do this on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two. When the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens, it says, suddenly a sound, like a blowing of a violent wind, and tongues of fire came to rest on them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And in other places, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens, they, it, it was, the place was shaken. I want to tell you that it's often an actual tangible experience. Not always, but often it's a tangible thing. It moves from just being a religious service to God invading the place. Then next, what do you see? It says, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Can I just tell you that their gifts of the Spirit are released when the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't believe that tongues is the only evidence. Some denominations believe that. That's not what we believe. There's also joy released. There's also boldness released. There's all kinds of gifts. Of, there's prophecy released. There's the 1 Corinthians 12 gifts of the Spirit. Can I just tell you, in the dark age we live in, we need the gifts of the Spirit to demonstrate God. People are looking for the supernatural everywhere. We need a supernatural church. But look what happens next. This is sad. Some said they've had too much wine. Can I just tell you, there will always be naysayers for the supernatural. There will always be people who speak against the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Because I was one of them. But let me tell you that God, <laughs> he will not be mocked. He is on the throne and he is moving in power. And he even changes people who stand against him. Part two, we move to part two of the book of Acts. It says, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say, and then we go on in Acts 2 where we see it says, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. When the power comes, it always leads to the proclamation of the gospel. Peter stands up before the disciples had seen ones and twos follow Jesus. Now he sees 3,000. It's a supernatural harvest. 3,000 people come in, and this is the birth of the Jerusalem church. The birth of the Jerusalem church happens right here. So what is a church? Well, the cool thing is we see in the book of Acts what a church is. It says this in Acts 2.42, the next verse. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That doesn't sound like a boring day in church, folks. That's what we're building this church after. That's the New Testament model. And when those things happen, let me show you really quick. I've outlined the things that happen in a New Testament model church. Devotion to teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, signs and wonders, taking care of the needy, 
meeting together continually, praising God and people being added and favor. Can I just tell you that when a person takes their life and drives it into the New Testament church, it's like a mechanic shop. I had to take my car to the mechanic shop. The shocks were the shocks were shot. We took it in there. Man, it got transformed and now it's functioning as it was created to function. That's what happens to a person when they come in and dive in and get submerged in the New Testament church. It transforms their life. The orphan find a family. The rejected find acceptance. The sick find healing. Those who are tormented find freedom. That's what the New Testament church does. It's not just a religious service. So the next five chapters are part two, the growth of the New Testament church. But then we see something happen. Everyone's not excited about this. In fact, some people don't like it. And they start trying to persecute it. Can I just tell you, when the church gets on fire, there are going to be people that are upset. Uh, that's happened to me quite a bit in my life. The, the, there's going to be some people that are not happy that you've got on fire for Jesus and you're radically following him. But you know what? Jesus can take your pain and, and turn it into your prosperity. Jesus can take your problems and lead you right into your destiny. And so that's actually what happens. There's this guy named Stephen. He's preaching. I think of him a lot like my brother-in-law, Stephen, who's our worship leader, just happy, shining for Jesus. And they decide to kill him. And this is where we, we pick up in Acts chapter 8. It says, and Saul approved the killing of him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. Can I, can I just tell you, um, if there's no persecution in your life, I, I want to propose to you that you might not be living the Christian life that God's called you to live. Because any time in the Bible where people start standing for Jesus, there is pushback. Why? Because there's a real enemy who hates us. If the enemy's not hating on you, it might be because you're not affecting him. That kind of sounded strong, didn't it? I, I really love you. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah. Did you see that? In this text was Judea and Samaria. Do you know that the church was called to go to Judea and Samaria? But what happened is so often what happens to us, we get blessed we, 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 we start having prosperity, and then we decide to just sit and, and, and hold on to it and be comfortable. And that's what the church did. They were like, this is amazing. Everyone loves us in Jerusalem. Why would I leave? And so persecution happens, and it scatters them to do the very thing they were called to do. Selah. Think about that for a second. Sometimes God will use the problems in your life to catapult you into his will for you so that you start affecting people. Just, uh, we, we so often get so mad at our problems. Maybe the problems you're experiencing right now, and it might not be persecution, are the very thing that is going to take you into your calling in life. That's been my story. That when I find myself blocked, I get so frustrated, it's because God's opening a door this way. That's going to be even better than I thought. Can I just tell you, if you have a problem today, find Jesus in it and watch him give you an upgrade. So what we see then next in chapter 9 is this jerk named Saul who's actually killing people. 
God knocks him down and blinds him. Can I just tell you that no person is too hard to be transformed by the gospel? I have seen it time and time again, the hardest people, the people I was most scared of. And God comes and apprehends them and transforms them. It's not our job to decide who Jesus is going to save. So you look at those people in your work, pray for the people in your workplace, especially the hardest people. Pray for those in your family, especially the ones that irritate you most. Pray for your neighbors, especially the most broken, because Jesus loves to take lives and completely turn them around. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 9, 1 through 18, is that God meets this guy named Saul. And he actually goes through what we call the five Ds, the New Testament growth journey. He makes a decision for Jesus. He had hated Jesus. All of a sudden he makes a decision to follow Jesus. Then he gets dunked. He gets baptized by a guy named Ananias. Then scales fall from his eyes. He actually gets delivered. Then he gets discipled. It says he stays with the disciples. He doesn't just make a decision and go off. He actually lives with the disciples for a while and gets trained. And then he gets deployed. He's sent off. The persecutor becomes the preacher. Absolutely amazing. It's the model of what God wants to take each one of us through. Have you been through the five Ds? Don't just stop with a decision for Jesus. Follow up by getting dunked. Come to one of our freedom days and, and, and start getting free and, and then jump in and get more. Many of us go through a life of, of transformation, of deliverance. Ask someone to mentor you. Get that intentional investment. Be in one of our life groups. That's where we get small group discipleship. And then find your calling. God will help find it and launch you into advancing his kingdom in your sphere of society. Then we come to this. This is awesome because this is a model for all people's church. Acts 13, it says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the worship to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Several things to make mention about the church in Antioch because it's the model for how we do church. Number one, you see that the places that these men were from is, is listed after their names. It says this, Barnabas is from Cyprus. That's an island in the Mediterranean. Simeon and Lucius are African. Manian lived with royalty in Israel. He's an Israeli. And Saul was from Tarsus. That's Turkey. You see these five different men from these different countries. Can I tell you, a New Testament church is a multi-ethnic church. Why is all people's church a multi-ethnic church? Not because it's a cool idea. It's because that's the kingdom of God. That's what God wants in the New Testament. We've got a long way to go. We're humbling ourselves. We're trying to seek uh, to wisdom from the Lord. But just let me tell you, when the Spirit pours out, it starts breaking down the ethnic divides. And when that happens, a church becomes outward focused. We start seeing the world instead of being a holy huddle. The second thing you see in this passage is the leaders had different giftings of the Spirit. They had the Ephesians 4 giftings. It says there were prophets and teachers. But we also know that there were apostles and pastors and evangelists. A New Testament church functions in the offices and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
But then next we see they were given to fasting and prayer. And as they were given to that, then the Holy Spirit spoke to them. Can I just tell you, when you come to this church, you can expect to hear from God. Why? Because we're building this church on prayer. If you feel a little lethargic, a little dry in your life, I want to tell you, jump into our prayer meetings. Because God speaks as we draw near to him. The Bible says he'll draw near to us. So that's how this church was started. This church was started, if, if you haven't heard my story, I'm not from here. Although I am very proud to be a San Diegan. It, it is so fun to travel around the world. People say, where are you from? I'm, I say San Diego. And they're like, oh, man, that's a great place to be from, right? That, that people are actually jealous just when you say the name of your city. Really cool. I'm not from here. I'm from Central Texas. And I was asking the Lord, God, I just want to follow your will. What do you have for me? And he spoke to me, church planting in San Diego. The amazing thing is he was speaking to other people. He was speaking to Kendall. He was speaking to Joel. He was speaking to, to Jonathan. And so eight of us adults came out. We didn't know a person. So how do you start a church when you don't know a person in a city? You just preach the gospel. That's what they did in the book of Acts. They'd show up in a city where they didn't know anyone, and they'd start just telling people about Jesus. Guess what? When you tell people about Jesus, they get saved. Can I just tell you that's not outdated. We don't need a new model. The gospel will be the gospel until the end of the age. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. For every, I tell you, every country we go to, we preach the gospel and people get saved. Right? When people aren't getting saved, it's because we're not preaching the gospel. When we start sharing the gospel, people start coming to Christ. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. I want to guarantee you in your business, there is people or at least a person who is ready to give their life to Jesus. They just need to hear. I guarantee you in your neighborhood, there are people that Jesus has been preparing with the gospel. In your family, there are people that have been prepared for the gospel. And so we started sharing and people came to Christ on campus. And people came to Christ in the park in City Heights. And people came to by all, every single one of my neighbors to my right. All four of them gave their life to Jesus. And the church was birthed. It was absolutely amazing. And then what did we do? We gathered with that group and started praying and seeking the Lord. And asking him what did he want for us. You know, years down the road, someone would hear Jonathan Lair would hear God speak. He, he had a dream just like this. Let, let me show you this verse because so often God does this. Acts 16, 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Can I just tell you, when we listen to the Lord, God speaks and he tells us who to go to. I don't know who it's going to be for you. I don't know, he's, but he's going to show you in your place of work. He's going to show you in your friend group. He's going to show you. He might show you someplace that you didn't expect for Jonathan Lair. He went to sleep one night. We had been leading this church for a while, and he has a dream, much like the Macedonian call of a woman in Mexico who needed help that he and his wife were picking up and rescuing. And that has led to the planting of all people's Tijuana. In this context where we are in Acts 13 church where we pray and fast and seek the Lord, God continually speaks different locations to unsuspecting people and we're planting churches all over the place. Let me, let me show you basically the model. You want to write this down because this is the model that God advances the kingdom of God throughout the centuries and he's still doing it today. 
If you want to see God move, it starts with prayer. You gather a group of people to pray. You pray. When we pray, God can't help but answer. When my kids ask for something that they need, I delight to give it to them. When we see that we can't do it in our own strength, when we see that our task is impossible and we get humble and we call out to God, he pours out his power. So it goes prayer to power. Guys, we saw that this week. We went on a three-day fast. And when you fast, you're saying, God, I need you more than food. I need you to break in and do the supernatural. Tuesday night, we had a breakout of healings at our, at our School of Transformation. Wednesday night, if you were at the prayer meeting, more people got healed. People have been touched by the power of the Spirit. In these services, the, the past three services, people have been touched mightily by the power of the Spirit. I want to tell you, when we pray, the power comes. But what does the power come for? The power comes for the preaching of the gospel. You know, one reason why I didn't share the gospel when I was young is because I was afraid of people. I was so afraid. I was so afraid of what people thought about me. But you know, when the power of God started touching me, I started not caring. I started caring more. It was like what the prophet said, there's a fire shut up in my bones that I have to let it out. The power came on me and, and, and made me bold. And, the, and when the power came on, I noticed that when I shared, actually my, my sharing wasn't good, but people actually listened. So there's prayer, there's power, then it always results in preaching because when a, when a community gets lit up by God, they can't help but share about it. And then when they start preaching, people get saved. And when people get saved, there you plant a new community. It leads to planting. So it goes prayer to power to preaching to planting. And then if a church doesn't want to, to, to get stalled out, then they do it again. Then that, that group that's been planted, that, that, that new little group that's been planted, they start praying. And then as they pray, then the, then the power falls afresh. And then, and then they go out and preach and then they start planting again. That is how the kingdom advances. And that's how we're going to see the city impacted, and it's how we're going to see the nations of the world touched by the gospel. Why don't you stand up with me?